Coming to you from the M&M Exterior Studio in Nooksville, Virginia, this is Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle, the introvert's extrovert. She talks to people so you don't have to. For now. Welcome back to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle, the introvert's extrovert. I'm here with Shannon McGurk. Thank you so much for coming, Shannon. I am so privileged to be here. Thank you. Now, Shannon is the creator of Authentic Masculinity. And so, uh, Shannon, why don't you tell us who you are and what that is? I am the happily married husband and father convert to Roman Catholicism with 12 children, none of which I wanted when I married. And you do now. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I am so grateful. That's great. I'm so grateful. How was authentic masculinity born? What a wonderful question and so beautifully said. <laughs> I mean it. Uh, how was it born? Authentic masculinity is – an ex- it, it started as an experiment and like many experiments, uh, as we have proceeded, the experimentation aspect of it is changing. So initially, it was a tentative idea based on gratitude. I had crashed my life in 2007, cat, uh, crashed it catastrophically. Mm after praying a very powerful prayer. And it caused me, that crash of my life caused me to rebuild. Upon rebuilding, I wanted to, I I thought long and hard about how my wife and I had triumphed over this adversity. And the answer that came back was, I had had to dig deep and find at the very, very bottom of who I was, the most primitive sort of basic strengths and they were all masculine for me. Mm-hmm. And so I found that that's what helped me pull through. And, and obviously at the bottom was a spiritual, a spiritual journey. But when we climbed up out of this horrible, difficult, challenging, rewarding time, I wanted to say thank you to the men who'd been the best example for me. And simultaneously, I discovered two things. One, it was my masculinity which pulled me through, but it was principled masculinity based on the good example of other men. And so at my wife's suggestion, and this is important because there's this complementarity aspect where Mm -hmm. my wife suggested to me that I, for my 53rd birthday, throw a party and thank them for their good example. So I thanked them. They came to a very, very specific set of circumstances for this party. I set it up. And they responded so powerfully to my saying thank you that it caused me to ask a couple of questions about the nature of men's needs, the nature of gratitude, the nature of connection for men, Mm -hmm. how it can be, how it can work, how it can transform the world. And that journey began and has continued onward. And now it's become entrepreneurial. It's become um, giving back. It's become celebrational. It's become transformative. And it's an ongoing journey. Two things you said that reminded me why I wanted to chat with you. One, you talked about the connection with men. And I think that's the biggest reason because I, for me personally, you know, my heart is all about connecting people. And I've always defaulted to women just because I think that obviously I naturally connect more with women. Um, But seeing the connections that I have with my husband and friends that we've built and, and, you know, male friends, I didn't want to exclude that because I kind of want to see if it's a vehicle for everyone. 
and seeing that you were doing something about that geared towards men, I thought was really powerful. So I wanted to dive more into that. Thank you. And also the masculinity, because, you know, that can be a negative word and it can evoke negative feelings. So I thought that was also interesting to kind of dive into. So first question would be with the special set of circumstances that you mentioned, what were the special set of circumstances that you invited these men to? Fire, food, cigars, very slight alcohol assist, right? Mm. Very slight. And each one of those played a very important role that I did not appreciate when we started, but I've, I've come to appreciate as we've proceeded. And the number 10. 10 people? Yes, 10 men. Men have five privileges. I talk about five privilege responsibilities. Prince, priest, prophet, provider, protector. Fire is at the heart of what it means to be a man. Okay, both metaphorically, but also physically, the ability to start a fire, mm -hmm. the ability to cultivate a fire. What a fire does, you know, it's dangerous, it's powerful, it's useful, but it has to be controlled. But on a very, very interesting communication level, a man will tell you, shoulder to shoulder, two men talking, staring into the fire, will tell you things they will not tell you talking face to face. Mm -hmm. So if you get a group of men looking into a fire building the fire, cultivating the fire, helping other men to build the fire. All of these things work together to bring out some important components of what it means to be a man. And we're just and that's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. To use an ice metaphor. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> fire and ice. It's funny when I hear you talk, I wonder so you say this is what masculinity is and I can't I'm not disagreeing with it because especially because that's your definition. And I kind of sit here thinking like, well, why couldn't that appeal like or why does that mean it's masculine? Mm. Couldn't that be a description of how anyone feels individually? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the genius of yeah. what we're talking about. Right. So short answer to your question is, of course, right. Yeah. Fire is universal. Fire yeah. is something that human beings benefit from. We we love it and we fear it. But the masculine relationship to fire is different than the feminine relationship to fire. And the masculine is linked to biology. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't like to – this is something I think we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. That there was a time when we took this for granted. There was a time when the connection between biology mm -hmm. and sexuality, biology and masculine or feminine identity was something nobody even questioned. Mm -hmm. But because we've entered this brave new world of ambiguity and everything's up for grabs, mm -hmm. now, if you say the word masculine, just saying it can be controversial. Yeah. So, so with regard to the fire, mm -hmm. the masculine relationship to fire is different from the feminine. Mm -hmm. And yet, in some ways, they overlap. Mm -hmm. So can a man cook at a fire? Absolutely. Can a woman cook at a fire? Absolutely. But the masculine relationship to fire is linked to biology and it's linked to the masculine. It sounds like a, a circular definition, but men are less afraid of fire or maybe they're more afraid of fire, so they respect it more. Mm. But if I'll give, here's a great example. This might be a better way to look at it. How do men cheat, treat little girls around a fire? How do men treat little boys around a fire? How do women treat little girls around a fire? How do women treat little boys around a fire? But wouldn't that go back to, like, gender norms and things like that, though? 
Can you define what gen- define the word gender for me and define the word norm? It's too hard for me. I ask the questions, Janet. <laughs> I ask the questions. Well, here, here's why I ask. The, here's why I yeah. come back to this. Right? Yeah. Gender, I get excited because it's 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 a wonderful privilege to have this conversation. Yeah. Right? Sex is biological. Gender is a social overlay. Okay. So when uh, a, a, a turning point for me. And this is why, and language is so vital. Mm-hmm. Language is so vital. Mm-hmm. A turning point for me was when I was looking at schools for my children. And I was interviewing the teachers at the school. And delightful teacher, female, opened up the book. The book was on, I think, mathematics. But when, but when she opened up the book, the chapter was on Bolivia. And I thought, hmm. And then in the chapter on Bolivia... There were two words used interchangeably. One was sex. The other was gender. Mm. So I'm talking to a teacher. I'm interviewing her. She's going to be teaching my children. We're looking at a mathematics book. We open the book. It's about Bolivia. And in the chapter on Bolivia, in the mathematics book, are two words used interchangeably, sex and gender. My question was, hmm, I notice the word sex and gender in this mathematics book chapter on Bolivia are used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Can you please tell me the difference in the definitions? She did not know. I said, so what's the difference between sex and gender? They're used interchangeably, so they must mean the same thing. But if they're the same thing, then why are there two different words? Mm-hmm. So I'm asking a question to clarify because I'm building trust with a teacher mm-hmm. who is supposed to be an expert in the material because I'm handing my children over to her to educate them. Mm-hmm. She did not know the answer to that question. And by my asking the question, I became what? A threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sex is biological, gender is an overlay. You go on Facebook, go on Google, what is it? How many genders are there? Mm-hmm. How many sexes are there? Mm-hmm. There are two sexes, mm-hmm. male and female. So when someone asks me about gender norms, I'm, I'm – I'm keen to ask in response, well, yeah. what is your definition of gender and what is your definition of norm? Mm-hmm. I'm seeking clarity. I wonder. There's a lot there. Of course. And it's a long story. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Well, that's why I think that I, cause I think what the, the work you're doing is so great, like bringing men together, giving men a place to communicate and things like that. And so, I, my questions, the thoughts on the masculinity thing, it's more just curiosity to discuss because of the current world we live in and all of this stuff. It's almost like you get into trouble for using the word masculinity. Yes. You yes. get into trouble for even saying men do this, men do that. But, you know, your intentions are good, and that's what I appreciate about it. And so I'm more just leaning into it out of curiosity because yeah. it's like, wow, this this feels controversial. But, you know, having men come together to build trust, relationships, accountability, things like that, those are great things rather than having men go to the bar, drink their sorrows away and not really communicating at all. And so it's like, why? So I'm almost like in internalizing, why does this feel? Why is it when you describe it? Why am I feeling some level of uncomfortable? Yeah. I, and I, yeah. so and I imagine 
I'm not the only one, which is why I'm asking. And like I said, I can kind of put mine down because we've had enough conversations that I know your intention. So that's why I just want to had I wanted to have the opportunity to like unpack it a little bit. Certainly. Well, I will say that there is an element of masculinity that is threatening. Yeah. That's one of its most powerful components. That that and we must be very, very clear about that. So it is I think it is a healthy, natural, understandable, and to be encouraged concern mm. that is this controversial. Mm-hmm. Let's let's ask that question. Mm-hmm. Recently my wife and I have tried something in our own marriage where we I call it the Jeopardy rule. Mm-hmm. That as we find ourselves growing as a couple and confronting a potentially difficult topic, we've decided to communicate in question form rather than statement form. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So so if if I want to say to my wife, you sound upset. I have to ch- I, my wife can say I invoke the Jeopardy rule. You have to use a question. Ooh. So now I say, and it's funny, even now in, in this studio, I changed it because I'm addressing her as a person. I say, sweetheart, are you upset? I put myself in the questioner's perspective now for this conversation. But in point of fact, I learned this. We learned this through, str- through strong striving together. Yes. So, so I believe it is important to ask these questions carefully. Yeah. These are controversial topics. I think if asked carefully and respectfully of the person mm-hmm. – Every human being, no matter their position, no matter their perspective, should feel welcome having this conversation. Mm. So, yes, it is controversial because these are weighty matters. These are not superficial questions. They're important questions. And each one of us as a human being has a vested interest in getting these answers right. And the answers aren't going to be the same for all of us. Yeah. And that's part of – I thank you for saying that so beautifully and having the confidence to say that because that's my own personal journey of – being a, I can't even say recovering people pleaser just yet. I'm still on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, being a people person, you know, but being someone who who is passionate about connection and finding a way to connect with people, I think it goes against the grain to want to ask questions that could be potentially uh, controversial or even bring up controversial things. It's just easier to sweep it under the rug. But I also – this is also why I love engaging with people and building relationships because there there is that trust to say, man, I'm having these feelings. I'm not even totally feeling the need – I don't know. I just can't think how to describe it right. But um, There is a Latin phrase, and, you know, and Latin is like Greek. If you invoke it, you cannot help but sound pretentious, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be very, very vulnerable here and say I don't remember the Latin phrase. Okay? Mm-hmm. But it's a fascinating phrase. It goes way back, obviously, to Rome. And it is, what you need most resides where you least want to look. Say that one more time. What you what you need most resides where you least want to look. And the Latin phrase is powerful, but essentially it's, you must go where you least want to go to find what you need most. And I believe, and your listeners will no doubt you know, correct me or, or inform us all. And, and I could check my notes. Jordan Peterson is the, it's the first time I heard it was on Jordan Peterson's uh, podcast, but it has to do with, I think the reference in the Latin is to a cesspool. There's gold in the cesspool, right? And it's, it's in the middle of all the horrible things you don't want to risk, mm-hmm. but it, it, well, the dragon and the gold, right? Mm-hmm. You must confront danger. You must confront difficulty. You must confront things that you find very distasteful. And that's where the important stuff is. Mm -hmm. And now as a human family, we're all doing this together. Mm -hmm. So 
I would be concerned if you didn't have these little warnings going off. Mm -hmm. It's like you talk to a new father and you say to yourself, are you nervous about the baby? I'd be very concerned about a man who said no. No. Yeah. (laughs) You know? He said, yeah, I'm scared to death. Good. Yeah. That's a great sign. Yeah. That's a great sign. So that would be my response. That's great. These these are not insignificant superficial questions. They're very important. And everybody's answer, you you know, you're going to uncover pain and you're going to uncover a little bit of hesitation. And we're all all come to terms with them. Well, it's actually, that's a great thing you just said, because I thought, okay, I think it's because of my connection with people. Because like I said, I'm not feeling kind of backing up a little. Um, I was going to finish my statement. I was going to say, that's why I phrased it as I'm feeling some tension, but it's more based on I can feel like other people having tension over it. And it goes back to when we talk about relationships, I get a little uncomfortable when we talk about um, marriage, love and respect, men needing to be the head of the household, women submitting to their husbands, like, ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But I personally am not uncomfortable because I have an amazing husband who sets a good example and we are a true partnership. And so I do see there's ways that I need to defer to him, but I also see how he defers to me. And so I can hear those kind of things of submit and whatnot because it because I'm in a healthy relationship, I guess you could say. But I have a heart for people who aren't and those words get used against them and, you know, abusive, emotionally, physically, whichever. And so then I think this kind of then falls into the next line of women who have been kept kept down or I can't think of the right word, but so. But but isn't it beautiful that you are concerned for others? Thank you. That's that's your that's your driver, Mm -hmm. right? And with regard to women, there's a wonderful phrase: the dignity of every woman is the responsibility of every man. I think that's that you just brought up a good point of, you know, when I was when I met you, and I was very intrigued to talk more because, you know, I realized we're very on the same page of wanting that connection and growth. And right now, when I'm talking, I'm thinking of my wife, because Mm -hmm. my wife knows all of my faults. Mm. We've been married 27 years. Mm -hmm. I come from a divorced, chaotic family, uh, uh, malevolence dysfunction on every level it is a miracle and it is actually a testimony to my wife's sainthood Mm. and i'm not i'm not exaggerating or speaking um hyperbolically there her her so as i'm speaking to you knowing that this conversation will be broadcast Mm -hmm. right if my wife were to hear me articulating these very noble things Mm -hmm. it would probably i mean i wouldn't be surprised if she said to me at some point you know sweetheart it all sounds great in theory, but I, I <laughs> let's make let's make sure we work hard together to get to it mm-hmm. in practice in our own home. Yeah. So I'm I'm mindful of that. These are yeah. difficult. These are very difficult things. Yeah. And much of what I'm saying is the fruit of effort on my wife's behalf. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Can you give an example of that? I, That's kind of maybe hard off the off I'll, the cuff. I'll, but one of, no, one of the best examples I give well, because I talk I talk about my wife a lot. Yeah. And and. Um, she is not a person who likes being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned how to love from my wife. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll give you the best example, right? She taught me, when I, when I met my wife, she was quite young. She was 20 and I was 30. 
And I encountered in her for the first time this concept that love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. The emotions follow. And she taught me, she has these wonderful phrases, one of which is, you can't see right when you're doing wrong. Can't see right when you're doing wrong. Okay. That's why we need others to sometimes bring us to our senses. Mm-hmm. And But this is a deceptively simple statement because it has to do with objective truth, right? If you hold yourself up against a standard of objective truth and someone that you trust to tell you when you're doing the wrong thing, you're on a much more stable path. So that's one example. My wife has my wife has a sign in the kitchen. Because remember, we have 12 children. Yes. And um, it says, I love hugs and I love kisses. But what I really love is help with the dishes. Mm-hmm. What my wife will tell you, and men need to hear this, right? Love don't get the diapers changed. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, of course, love does get the diaper changed. At three in the morning... When you're tired and resentful, mm-hmm. and we can all be there, right? Yeah. The fact that we're still changing that diaper at three in the morning when we're exhausted, that's love. That's discipline. Mm-hmm. That's the hard work. You talk about the hard work. It's the hard work of, is it is it discipline or devotion? Mm-hmm. Words matter. It's disciplined devotion. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, don't stay ahead. I don't know. I'm 59, right? Mm-hmm. So I can remember a time, and I come from a divorced family, and mm-hmm. everybody divorced. We didn't fight. We just left. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. My wife and I are learning, after 27 years of marriage, how to fight more fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but essentially it was just that, oh, stay together for the children. Yeah. I remember coming mm-hmm. up at a time when people would say, oh, don't just stay together for the children. Stay together for the children. That's a good reason to stay. Yeah. But I'm sorry to go on so long. Oh, no, that's fine. Um I think we just did an episode on marriage. It just uh, came out and it was a lot about the communication and learning to kind of work through that because I shared a story about when we were first married, if we had any disagreement, it was like, it stressed me out because I didn't want to have any problems. And, you know, Jeremy was like, it's okay to have, we work through this. And now after 11, almost 12 years of marriage, it's, oh, if I could go back and tell my young self, like... It sounds kind of motivational, but like these are opportunities. But they are. And you use them. But the difference is, do you use them as opportunities? Well, and you have to fight fair, right? Mm -hmm. You have to fight fair and you have to fight as equals. This is the other thing. This is the good news. You know, you and I were talking earlier. I genuinely believe one of the most gratifying discoveries that authentic masculinity has gleaned for me Mm -hmm. is that it's overwhelmingly a good news story. Mm -hmm. There is such a thing as authentic masculinity. So what I would say is, Everything in marriage is worth fighting for, but fight fair and and fight so that you – this is something else we've discovered, right? One of the things that I promote through authentic masculinity is fight so you both win. Mm. Fight in such a way that the marriage is the winner. Yeah. And there are some very sophisticated concepts, which I'd love to talk about on on a way on the way to doing that, but back over yeah. to you. No, I, I would love to to dive in a little bit to that, to the, to the marriage question of if – People are staying together for the kids or not for the kids because I've heard both statements and actually I think both on the podcast, you know, not staying together just for the sake of the kids because if it's an unhealthy marriage, then that's a disaster. You, do, I mean, you don't want people um, staying together just, quote, for the kids and then having it be a toxic environment. So how do you move from it not being a toxic environment to using 
staying together for the kids as a vehicle to improve your marriage. Here's the analogy I like to use, right? So first of all, we're all flawed. Mm-hmm. We're all broken. We're all disasters. You know, people laugh when I say this. Is this they say, how are you? They say, I'm a, I say, I'm a train wreck. <laughs> but life is great. Yeah. Okay, I am a train wreck. Life is great. Yeah. So when people marry, they're two, we are, we are all of us, flawed, wounded, resentful, insecure messes of people. And we're trying to become perfect with each other, right? So you're two flawed people trying to get together, improve each other, and we deserve to be with people who are as flawed as we ourselves are. That's how we grow. All right. So two people come together. We're we're both a mess, husband and wife. We're both a mess. Um, We're a mess in different ways, and we work together. Okay, so so we're flawed and we're fragile. Mm Mm-hmm. Love is this supernatural power, right? It is both a discipline and a devotion. It is an emotion and it is hard work. It transforms us, but it has to exist in a vehicle. And the vehicle is that marriage. And that marriage can be strong or weak. Okay. Think of, think the analogy I like is think of a, of an, of an earthen vessel filled with water. Water is love. The marriage is the vessel. Through the course of life, you will use up that love and you will. You'll mm-hmm. use up that love. It'll be gone. You'll go through difficulty because life is hard. Yeah. And so the water will be drained out of the vessel. And you'll have to trudge along without any water through the desert. If you break the vessel, where does the water come when it comes back? Where does it go when it comes back? Right? So the marriage is the vessel. Mm-hmm. The water is the love. What happens is people, they they run out of love. They break the vessel. That's the divorce. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The love's going to come back. And when the love comes back, it's got nowhere to go because you've broken the vessel. That's tragic. I, feel, I don't feel like I did a very good job of explaining that. But No, I think, I think that if you're in – for a marriage that feels just like a loveless marriage, I think sure. it's a great example. Well, when there's not other factors at play with toxi- toxicity. Okay. To- to- uh, toxicity is great because yeah. what's going to happen is – so sex is dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's one of its attractions. It's dangerous and risky, mm-hmm. right? So what happens is when um, when you marry, you're on a journey that's dangerous. It's an adventure that's dangerous. And you're going to uncover things in yourself and in the other person that are controversial and scary. And those scary controversial things that go back to your childhood and are complex may cause you to discover things that make you – that repel you from one another. I feel like what you just said should be repeated and go out to every couple that's getting married that's like so lovey-dovey and blah, blah, blah. Right. Because what you just said packs so much truth. <laughs> well, and here – and go to your question though. This Because I, I, I want to say this well and I want to be careful, right? So let's say you discover something horrible in each other. Uh-huh. Let's say you discover – we discover something in the husband that's horrible. Let's say, you know, the classic example is the husband strikes his wife. He uh-huh. hits his wife. He becomes an abusive, violent man. Okay. Should she leave? Absolutely. Oh, good. I, about, I was like, in my head, I was thinking, if he says no, I do not know where she, I'm going to go with this. <laughs> she has an obligation to herself to leave. She has an mm-hmm. obligation to her children to leave. Should she divorce? I would say almost, almost, almost never. Hmm. Because what happens is... The bond is sacred. And there was a time in the 30s where we all believed this. This is what's interesting, you know. There was a time when it was never – it was, well, he hit me. That's horrible. He should never hit you. You should move out. But it doesn't mean you should divorce and marry someone else because guess what? 
and and like likely he should he should not divorce and marry someone else because he's just going to take that problem with someone else, yeah. right? So so what I would say is the children need the stability of the marriage, and I would say it is under very rare circumstances that a marriage should be broken. Now, but then you have to go back to the question of is it a marriage? That's the question. Oh, lean into that because I'm already like, well, Shannon, we might have to agree to disagree. Well, I don't know, but I mean, we'll, we'll, because let's, first, let's talk about what a marriage is. I like that absolutely. Well, because first of all, we're talking in the yeah. hypothetical, right? Yeah. Now, I can guarantee you, we agree on far more than we disagree. Oh yeah. All I'm advocating for is the pendulum has swung so far to to, to one end yeah. now, where people are divorcing for nothing, yeah. right? Um, Would you say that? Because I wouldn't disagree that you separate and there's a time for healing and restoration if there's if there's healing, if there's, um, I don't know if repentance, the right word, <laughs> therapy, things like that to deal with some of these issues. But if those things happen and there's not a resolution. Well, it's interesting because what's I think what the, I think what the statistics reveal is, first of all, men and women are both violent. Mm-hmm. This is important. Yeah. And what we're getting at in this conversation is we're working from the general to the specific, Uh right? And we're asking important questions. Yeah. Under what conditions should two people decide to disassemble something that they built initially to last forever? Mm -hmm. That's the question. And for whom did they marry? Mm. Are there children? Is it a marriage? Is it a marriage of equals? Is there respect? These are important questions. And I think it's time to ask them. I'm sorry. Yeah. So what is it? So then you asked what constitutes a marriage. Right. So then what constitutes a marriage other than on paper you're legally married? I, I would say um, there are a few key components, right? One is full freedom. Neither party can be compelled because you cannot compel. Well, now here's the thing, right? We say you cannot compel love. But if love is a decision, you can compel love else it wouldn't be a commandment from God. It's not an emotion. Mm. It's an action, right? So so first, full freedom. You can't have somebody who is compelled to marry somebody else. That's, 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 that's an attack on the human person. Mm. So, so first, full freedom. Full knowledge. Full freedom, full knowledge. Full knowledge. What do you mean by that? It, and it, it, this presumes something, right? Mm-hmm. So full knowledge would be, do you know what you're getting into? Well, here, if you're 16, you don't, Yeah. right? So you have to be an adult. You have to be fully competent. You have to be fully responsible for your own actions. Yeah. So, so when you entered into this marriage, did you know what you were getting in for? Mm-hmm. What if a person doesn't show you who they are? Like the classic example of a narcissist. Right. Narcissists the, hide it, exactly. and then you get into it. Exactly, and I'm getting animated because that's yes, the key question, right? So, so, so this is this is why we say marriage is a big it's a big decision, right? Yeah, you're entering into something that is a contract for life. And here's yeah. the other thing, and this is almost a universal throughout the world, right? This is almost universal throughout the world. It's very important because of all the different components and questions that are going to come up, even in our discussion. Mm-hmm. And we're just a couple of we're just a couple of train wrecks talking, right? Exactly. So, so, and yet. This is a deeply human problem, and it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. When, one of the last conversations you and I had, uh, Samantha, you know, this whole idea that private actions have public consequences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. So marriage is a vehicle that we enter into for the benefit of the society, and how we treat it affects everybody around us. So, so what is a marriage, right? What is a marriage? It, it is exclusive. It is permanent. Yeah. 
It's between two responsible people. Oh, oh my question was yeah. with the narcissist. Right. If you if someone's, you know, a narcissist and so you don't have full knowledge like right. of it. Yeah. And so then then you get into it and it's this lifelong commitment that you just said, but should you be subjected to that for not knowing before you got married. Well, and this is where I think it, it's so as we as we zero in on specifics, yeah. it, it becomes more difficult because it's deeply human, yeah. right? So we say to ourselves, all right, in this one scenario, yeah. and who is to say, right? So this is where you have outside authority. Mm-hmm. So so you have two people who've entered into a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And one now we discover we discover someone discovers mm-hmm. the two parties discover. There's a significant problem, mm-hmm. and we're reexamining the validity of the contract. We're reexamining the validity of the of the agreement, mm. and we're realizing, wait a minute, one person was mentally incompetent, the mm. narcissist, mm-hmm. and and fooled someone else. Mm. So here the question becomes, who's the authority to judge? I would say, I would say, well, clearly. If there was somebody who was truly narcissistic, and that's a diagnosis, right? This is why this is why doctors have a special place in a society because they mm-hmm. have the authority to make these decisions. I would say in that situation, then the other person is is now free mm. because the person who was a narcissist, and I don't even know what the clinical definition yeah. of a narcissist is, somebody who is who is mentally, emotionally, psychologically dishonest or incompetent violates one of the mm-hmm. preconditions for marriage. Right, because it infects the marriage, and now it's no longer a valid, a valid contract. This is why I love conversations. Because five minutes ago, when we were talking, maybe not five minutes. I don't have a timer. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I thought, man, this is too much. It's too in my head. I'm thinking like, oh, this is too, too many layers. <laughs> we just can't like. And, and I'm thinking in my head like, we just, I just won't even. I don't even want to air this because it's too, it's too layered. But I'm so glad we kept talking and we got to your statement there. And I think this is what gets lost. This is what gets lost when people only listen to sound bites. Because yeah. if you heard you say, I don't think people should get divorced. Well, you are, you had that statement was based on a certain parameters. Right. And that's where my heart comes in that we talked about earlier of having a heart for people that don't have those parameters. Maybe that's a more concise way to say it. And I always think of that. Which is why I like being in relationship with people. I like recording these whole conversations so that it's, if you're in these parameters, you can hear that. It can convict you to say, okay, I need to fight for this. I need to lean into this and kind of figure out who it's speaking to and who it's not. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does to me. And the thing is, as a society, we're in such a mess yeah. because our standards have become so erratic yeah. and inconsistent that we all have to work together to reestablish what's reasonable, right? And and I come from a divorced family, and yeah. I, by the way, have divorced. Yeah, I'm a yeah. divorced guy. I divorced yeah. be, because the, the 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 woman that I married that was not a marriage. Mm-hmm. There was no way that was. I, I didn't know what I was getting into. She didn't know what she was getting into. Mm. And so I am thankful that. Someone said to me, you know, yeah, I mean, I wasn't prepared for marriage. I didn't know how to choose a wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She didn't know how to choose a husband. I didn't know how to raise mm-hmm. a child. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was getting into. 
And so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. Yeah. I'm just saying these are serious questions and we all have to proceed yeah. with such care. Yeah, and I appreciate so there's a part of me as as we were talking I thought like psh, who who not only who am I to to give a judgment or authority, who am I even to talk about this, which is kind of probably where I was at like ugh, let's scrap all this. <laughs> um mm. but I'm glad we continued the conversation because if people wanted to just do anything they wanted to do, then there would be no guilt or shame associated with right, it. Right, right. So I think leaning into the conversation, um, part of me thinks, what's the point of you and I having it? But it's hopefully that maybe other people who can't have these conversations and maybe get some insight are able to kind of get some insight if, if that. And I find myself thinking of that Latin phrase, I can't remember, right? Mm-hmm. That, that the gold is where you least want to look. Yeah. Right? This is difficult. Right. Yeah. But 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 we all have a vested interest. Each of us needs all of us and all of us needs each of us. Yeah. This is the most inclusive aspect of being a human being. We all need to have these conversations and to agree. Yeah. I mean, to agree on where we disagree. You almost yeah. said that earlier. Yeah. And say, you know, and be respectful and say, OK, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I'll think about it. Yeah, I certainly will. I mean, the, the last time you and I spoke, I was deeply troubled <laughs> by our conversation because I was asking myself, boy, was I respectful of others when I said that? If that if that got out, would would my daughters be embarrassed? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Th- 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 what you're doing is heroic. This podcast is heroic. Well, thank you. It's true. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you could go on and on about that. Please <laughs> tell me more about how heroic yeah. and wonderful I, I, I am. Wor- I worked with a guy. I'd love. To, <laughs> I, I worked with a guy. I'd love to use his family name, but I won't. I hope he hears this conversation. His name is David. Oh, he's such a great guy. He'd say, keep keep fluffing me. Keep fluffing yeah. me. Keep, keep fluffing, fluffing me. me. I need it. Keep fluffing I love me. It. I don't mind it. Yeah. What takeaways? So, you know, we kind of went off on a on a, a tangent, but I think it was an important one. So with authentic masculinity, getting back to that, what I love is that you're creating an environment for accountability for men. Boy. And I know, I'm so good. Man, yes. you're, you're, Thank you. you're man. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> um, powerful. And power. The reason that really appealed to me is <laughs> I feel like I figured out the secret at least that I personally need, which is to be in community with and relationship with people beyond just my husband. I yeah. need to have a trusted yeah. friends yeah. that are for not only me, they're for my marriage, they're for the health of my marriage, and so they are the sounding boards to, you know, point me in the right direction. And what I've realized, you know, with Jeremy through our conversations is that I have this sounding board, but he needs to have that sounding board too. And I think, and he has created it. I think he has, has found more of it, but by nature, I mean, that took work to invest into that and it's still an investment, you know? And so I think by nature, men don't have that. Correct. And so I really like what you're doing. So yeah, we need gangs and we don't have gangs right now. Yeah. And men need gangs, and the gangs right are good. Gangs. Oh, absolutely. This is and this is the key, right? The yeah. right kind of gangs. Yeah. Um, there's only one worse. There's only one thing worse than being in a gang, and that's not being in a gang, mm. because gangs provide accountability. Now, you want the right kind of gang. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about that is men want to be held accountable. They want to be held accountable respectfully. Mm. So holding – I had a very interesting experience the other day. In fact, you were there. Mm-hmm. And and I stood up at a meeting and I said, hold men accountable. And there was a man in the room who responded to me and said, well, I kind of feel like you're pointing the finger at me and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Now, deep in the heart – in the recesses of my own heart, I wanted to say with impatience, 
hey, brother, if you're not comfortable being held accountable, I want to look in, I want to look at you a lot more closely. That was the wrong response, but that mm-hmm. was deep in my heart. And what I found out later was he, uh, he and I ultimately had a very good conversation. Mm-hmm. And as is often the case in my own life, when I have an initial clash with someone that makes me want to walk away, that's when back, you need to lean into it. That's when I need it. to lean into it. That yeah. goes back to the gold yeah. and the cesspool. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I, what, what I'm finding is those are the relationships that are the most important because they cause me to analyze myself. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the most rewarding friendships. What I found out was, of course, I had communicated to him in a way that wasn't caring. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what he picked up on. And he has, he has, he has a very legitimate, a very reasonable response. Mm-hmm. And we had a very rewarding conversation later, but I'm sorry. Mm, Men like want that. to be held accountable respectfully. Mm-hmm. Accountability. You were mentioning accountability yeah, and the I fires. Like So what do you want men to take away from authentic masculinity or even women? What do you want people to take away from authentic masculinity? We live in a broken world. Men can make it better. Each one of us has within us what I call the masculine genius. It is both general and specific. Tap into that genius, place it at the service of others, and you can transform the world for the better. If you don't, you will transform the world for the worst. Mm. And authentic masculinity is your hope that it will guide men to place it in the right. If any of what I've learned so far is a reliable indicator, I like our odds. Mm. Yes, because because what I'm finding is men want to be better and everybody benefits when men are strong. Everyone benefits when men are strong. Weak men are the ones that cause the problems because mm. they don't master their appetites. They don't master themselves. They don't serve the women they love. They don't serve. We conquer through service. Mm-hmm. Men conquer through service. And and through self-mastery, we become better. Yeah. To wrap up, to revisit the bond fires. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Boom. Yeah. Dropping those value bombs. Yep. Samantha. (laughs) At the bonfires, we touched upon it a little bit. You talked about the elements, the fire, cigars. Slight alcohol, cigars. What was the fourth one? I forgot. Food. Food. There we go. Food's always good. Okay. So you have your elements. Either what came out of the first one or what has come out of multiple ones since then. Because I that you started creating those events, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, What came out of the first one was articulated need. Mm. men came up to me and said, dude, I need more of this in my life. Mm. So companionship, an articulated need, um, a sense of men I respect who respect me, mutual respect. So men I respect who respect me. Mm-hmm. So there's mutual respect. There's accountability. Uh, we, we've All right. Whoever's listening to this, mm-hmm. imagine any kind of man from any kind of demographic, mm-hmm. we've had them at the fire. Mm. And they have all felt welcome. Mm. Strong men, weak men, weak men who were bullied as children, weak men who live a conventional lifestyle, men who live an unconventional lifestyle, however you want to define that. Mm-hmm. We've had just about everybody there. And they all have benefited from the companionship of other men. And the only rule we have, first of all, there's no agenda. Okay. Other than, other than, I mean, there's no there's no explicit agenda mm-hmm. other than fellowship and we welcome, right? Every man that I've talked to wants to be better. Mm. It's so encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for coming again. Thank you for coming back. 
since we lost the first recording. <laughs> thank you so much for this delightful conversation. But I think as as it does, it always works out for the best. So thank you for coming again and sharing. And I look forward to, to seeing where authentic masculinity goes. And the honor has been mine, does. and I thank you. Thank you. All right. And that's a wrap for now. Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle. Music provided by twinmusicom.org. Song titled Night at the Dance Hall. Sound editing by me, Jeremy Spittle. A special thanks to our studio sponsor, M&M Exteriors. Visit their website at mmexteriors.com for all of your roofing, siding, and gutter needs in the Northern Virginia area. Visit our website at flushingitout.com and be sure to subscribe. This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard. Don't forget to check out the after show on the Full Flush bonus episode where Samantha and I continue the conversation with our guest. You can find the Full Flush episode right here on Flushing It Out every Friday.